0: In the top left, it shows starting the recording. It'll turn blue and the counter will go. Okay, here we are. So, welcome, Laurent. This is your first call to where Robert and I are old friends. Probably more than a year now, right, Robert? How long have we been together? Yeah. Uh, February
1: 2021. So, yeah, a little more than
0: a year. Mm-hmm. Ever so,
1: since I was to the, the Steve James Guru Viking, That that motivated me.
0: Yes, that was uh, back in the day. Yeah. So uh, I'm very pleased to meet you. You you live where in France?
2: Um, France.
0: I live in uh,
3: in the south near Lyon, probably you know the the city.
0: Oh, is that close to the um, the mountain range between France yeah. and Spain? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And, uh, no, and, uh,
0: Italy. in Italy. Oh, um, the coast.
3: To it. Okay, yeah, closer to to Italy. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, I have a number of students from France. Uh, uh, some of them are familiar with Plum Village. Joe has been to Plum Village, and uh, uh, also one of the students is a professor at uh, a university in Paris. And so uh, yeah, i've got got some friends there. And so uh, welcome. Thank you. To nice you. to meet you. Uh, so, uh, one of the things that we can uh, begin to talk about for the teaching of the Buddha is the Four Noble Truths, which is actually just one statement. The Four Noble Truths can be state, uh, put in just one phrase, even down to three words, because the teachings of the Buddha are actually quite simple. And that simplicity basically is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Or if you see unsatisfactoriness, change your mind to see things as satisfactory. That satisfaction and dissatisfaction are aspects or attitudes of the mind. And we can come out of our dissatisfaction in a particular way. And when we're when we are out of our dissatisfaction, And into a state of satisfaction, we know it and we like it, but we just don't know how to maintain it because then some thought will come that will take us out of our satisfaction and take us into dissatisfaction based upon our likes and not likes of whatever thought we're having. So the the basic practice then, which is called the Eightfold Noble Path or the Eightfold Noble Method, is not a long-term practice of doing things to get something, like sitting on the floor, pushing and driving ourselves to get something, that a better thing to do is just relax and get it right now, that we can be satisfied, we can be happy right now. Here's one thing that can be interesting in in this regard, and a lot of people have an idea that, that enlightenment it's something special. It's something way out there. It's top shelf stuff. You have to climb a ladder just to put an icon up there. Okay. That's the way we put it up there uh, with with the images of the Buddha and concepts like Jesus Christ. And some people will put Muhammad way up there. Okay. But these things are out of reach and often even out of sight. They're not real. They're just merely concepts, but there is a real enlightenment and that real enlightenment is a real way of, of looking at the world. And in fact, the word enlightenment has two qualities to it. One is light in the sense of daylight, shining a light on it, taking a look or knowledge, the light of wisdom is one way of looking at enlightenment. And the other one is, is that once we look and see, we see what a bunch of crap it is that we've been carrying around, all this unsatisfactory uh, ideas and whatnot, and so we set them down. We become less burdened down with our own existence. We become less burdened down with the set of rules that we've been trying to live up to and standards. We, We become unburdened from all of our competition. And so that means that we can just um, lighten up. That's basically what Buddhism or the teaching of the Buddha is really all about, is shine a light on it, look at for what it is, and then lighten up about it. That's the whole teaching. So this is the teaching of Dukkha and look at it and see what it is and recognize you don't need that, and set it down. And when we can set things down and just be satisfied and happy in this present moment, this is what we mean by the third noble truth of being free from dukkha. And then being free from dukkha and satisfied is not really something all that special because you have moments of satisfaction throughout the day, just not very many of them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to practice on having more and more moments of satisfaction until that becomes the predominant feeling that we have rather than being dissatisfied almost all the time with a few moments of satisfaction. It's going to turn itself around the other direction to where almost all the time you're having a satisfying moment with only occasional unsatisfaction. And not only that, but as we grow in wisdom, then we begin to recognize that we have control even over those things that are unsatisfactory so that we can deal with them in a much easier way. For instance, if I am thirsty and there is no water anywhere inside, I'm out in the desert. Now, that's real suffering because I'm thirsty. But if I am wise, then I'm going to be around water so that when I'm thirsty, I can pick it up and take a drink (laughs) and feel satisfied.
1: Uh, Sandra has something to say about satisfaction. Uh Uh-huh, yes, Sandra.
2: You're totally right about it. (laughs) You're totally right.
1: Wait, wait, you're saying something earlier.
3: Every time you say satisfaction, it comes to my mind that song from early 2000s, Satisfaction.
0: <laughs> ah, yes, Rod Stewart. That's one of my favorite songs because it's quite ironic, you see. He's sing- he's slinging- singing at the top of his lungs, can't get no satisfaction, while he's jumping around the stage in great glee and joy.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's actually a good song for a Dhamma student. That's a good song to learn. Can't get no satisfaction because the reality is, is here it is. I can get it. I've got it.
2: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Anyway. Can't,
0: Can't get no satisfaction. That is exactly the way that we live our lives. We go around living our lives thinking we can't get no satisfaction, that the satisfaction is miles from here. And when we have that attitude and come into Buddhism and we see the thing called the Eightfold Noble Path, we say, all right, now we know this satisfaction is a great deal of distance from here. And we've got to take a footpath or a bike path or a highway or something to get from here to there. But in fact, the Eightfold Noble Path is not really a path at all. Not in that way. It's more like a method. It's more like a uh, a door. And you're standing right in front of the door. And all you have to do to be satisfied is to open that door. And well, there's a method to do that, you put in the key, you turn the crank, then you turn the knob and you push and the door comes open. And we could do that little thing. Any time that we remember to, that the door of, of satisfaction is just right in front of us, and all I have to do is open the door. What we really have to do is to remember to open the door. That's the hard part. Because when we're suffering, we think that the suffering is so big and so powerful and taking the moment and owns the moment. And who poor little old me is, but I've got to do this suffering. Not recognizing that, hey, we created that suffering and if we would wake up and remember that we don't have to suffer, then we could just open the door of satisfaction and step right in. But many people practice meditation with that idea of it's a long slog. You got to put out a lot of time and a lot of effort and you got to sit on the floor until the body hurts and then you've got to sit there with strong determination. To where the teachings of the Buddha is really about, no, we need to get ourselves comfortable because if you're not comfortable, you're not satisfied. So sitting in discomfort is not a good way of becoming satisfied. What is worth satisfying is to take the time while we are comfortable to practice being satisfied for a short period of time. And then go off and do something else, and then again, when we remember it, to sit down for a short time and bring ourselves back to a state of satisfaction. And we practice that over and over and over again. Sometimes throughout the day, five, six, seven times a day, all day long, like that, uh, through throughout the day. Just five minutes now, and become satisfied. Another five minutes now, and become satisfied. So that's to get in the habit of creating this emotion. Right. Right. That you can create your emotions. You have been creating your emotions your whole life. Most people think that all the situation created my emotion, but the situation never creates the emotion. It's our attitudes about the situation that create the emotion. Mm The two people can be in the same situation and one's howling with the after and the other one is crying with remorse over the same thing. And it may not have to do with one thinks he's won and the other one thinks he's lost. It's just a funny joke. But that funny joke broke somebody's rules. And so that funny joke is not funny because it broke a rule It used a bad word right and so that's just a a way of looking at it so our feelings are always generated from within the mind they don't come from the outside object ever yeah but how they come to mind has to do with our habits that we've already brought uh let us say developed over the years since we were childhood So what made us angry when we were three years old makes us angry when we're seven, which makes us when we're 10, which makes us when we're 14, which makes us right up to the same time now. The same thing that pissed me off when I was three years old pisses me off now. I don't get my way. Anytime I don't get my way, it pisses me off. Right? That's the normal way that we live our lives. But we rarely get our way. Things don't go our way. And then if it does go our way, then we think we can make it go even more. We can make up a new way for it to go. And then it doesn't go that way, and so we feel bad again because we don't get what we want. That's the source of dukkha, is that we don't get what we want. So if we could be, uh, let us say, wise enough and quick enough, We can change
2: what we want so that we're satisfied with
0: what we got. For instance, if I uh, want water and I've got water, I take a drink of water, I'm satisfied. If I want wine and I don't have any wine in the house, now I'm suffering because I don't get what I want. But if I immediately recognize that, oh, there's no wine in the house, that's okay, I'll have water instead. And now we've changed it back, we've changed what we want, and now we're back in the state of satisfaction, if we can remember to do that. But look how often, especially in France, people are saying, where's my wine, where's my wine, where's my wine, and they don't have it. And so they now are unhappy when they thought that if they had the wine, they would be happy. And the wine doesn't bring happiness. In fact, wine brings unhappiness because it's not always there. And so this is the real teaching of the Eightfold Noble Path is develop this little set of skills of learning how to open the door. And that set of skills has to do with, first off, we have to remember that we've got a choice here and that we can then investigate what's going on with the idea that I can change this from whatever it is in the mind. Now I can change it to something more wholesome, something more useful, something more satisfying. Yeah, Robert.
1: So here's a quote from Nietzsche. I know he had a lot to say about striving, so I thought I'd throw one in there. Thus, the will to power strives towards oppositions, towards displeasure. There is a will to suffering at the foundation of all organic life, contrary to happiness as a goal.
0: Precisely. He knew that, but could he practice it? No. Okay, that's the problem with the wisdom is, is that we we often know what is not suffering and what is suffering, but we don't know how to avoid it because we don't understand that second noble truth of where that suffering comes from. And where it comes from with Nietzsche was is that he wanted, boy, did he want, he wanted a whole lot. And he found suffering because he wanted things that he didn't have.
2: So it's the the wants, right? Right. When,
0: When we want things and we don't have them, then that brings on dissatisfaction. But we can learn to like things without wanting them. That just because I think that that is a drop-dead gorgeous babe over there doesn't mean that I have to want her. Mm. That she can be beautiful without being attractive. I don't have to be drawn into it through my own desire. That I can just be appreciative of how much Paint and gunk she's got on her face to make her look beautiful in the (laughs) eyes of our society. But who determines beauty? Beauty, in fact, in our society is not always in the eye of the beholder. Often it's in the eyes of the magazine writers and the photographers. That's where the beauty lies. Why? Because then the, the photograph that they took, they say then that this is beautiful and you should look like this. And therefore, you've got to buy our product and put our product on your face so that you look like this lady in the photograph. When the lady in the photograph could have been naturally beautiful and didn't need any of that stuff. But they're <laughs> trying to sell the stuff, so they put the stuff on the lady's face. And so they're out there selling things because guys are dissatisfied when they don't get what they like. Because when we like something, we want it. Another problem with that is when we like something and want it, we think it must be good. Oh, that lady must be a really good lady because she's so gorgeous and I want her so much. She must be really good. And if uh, the other side of it, if I don't like it, and I don't want it, then I'll think it's also, it's bad, and now it's my job to destroy it or get rid of it. That's more dissatisfaction. So we find dissatisfaction in the wanting and dissatisfaction in the uh, wanting to get rid of it or hating it. So in fact, wanting and hating, loving and hating are the same thing. It's just the direction of which way is it going. It's straight to change the way. Right. So what we begin to do is we begin to see that this is what we're doing in our own mind. So that we can then decide that, oh, I could be happy without it. I don't have to want it. I could just like it. It's just beautiful, but I don't have to want it. An example that I use sometimes is like the Louvre with the Mona Lisa. And some people go in there and they think it's so beautiful and some of them will try to scratch it out and make their own drawing of it and they're just so enamored with it. Other people go and they say, oh, there's such a small photo. It's not really all of that big and it's got cracks in it, it's too old. And they don't get any value out of it at all.
1: I was the second of those two. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I felt it was a big color blue over not that much, you know. Uh
0: huh. But there's so also know. people who go in there and and plot on how they can take it. They want it. It's mine. Okay. So that's the the uh, the the way that we do things that causes so much trouble. The ones who want that painting and want to take it off the wall and take it home with them, they're the ones who are really suffering the most. And are suffering so badly that they're willing to risk prison, or um, you know the kind of movie um, uh, stealth, uh, you know, with the chain coming down from the roof and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, look how much work that is, just because we want a piece of paper with some ink on it. Yes, Robert. So you know, one thing I've noticed
1: about you know Western culture is we really, you know, fetishize uh, hard, you know, a lot of suffering and hard work. You know, like uh, we love to make movies about that guy that spent, you know, three years trying to climb a mountain, you know, um, or that famous athlete that totally destroyed their personal life in order to become a great athlete. You know, this is something we really tend to celebrate in Western culture, people that will get sacrifice everything for the sake of some greatness, right? You know, uh, what are your thoughts on on this uh, phenomenon of okay. celebration of suffering and and hard work?
0: All right, it has to do with the little words in the English language of good, better, and best. Or another way of talking about it is bad, worse, and worst. Well, this is it. So what is good and what is better and what is best. And so they say, you've got to do your best. Me, I personally, I don't do my best. I'm having too much fun here to work at doing anything. I don't even know what my capabilities are. I've never been to hundred percent of anything. Why should I bother to do that? Because if I do hundred percent, I'll probably wind up being disappointed that it's not 110% like I thought it was but our society trains our children to try to do their best and you have to win goals, you have to win the science fair or the high jump or whatever it is you've got to be number 1 at something or you're not a you're not worth anything anywhere it's almost like everybody's got to find their niche so that they could win at that and i mean really really strong to be a great big success That's our culture. Where did that come from, you might ask? I would say that it comes from religion in general because it's religion that holds up such high ideals. It's the idealization of reality, making reality, actual reality, that's just as it is into good, better, and best. And best is nothing but a concept. And so when we're trying to do our best, that means that we're trying to live up to some standard or some rule that defines what best is. Yeah, I've got a funny story about that. So so
1: Sandra went to the makeup store yesterday and she asked <laughs> the lady that worked there um, about makeup she'd seen on TikTok. And and the lady told her, oh, the way that actually looks in real life is is not very good. And it's actually the filters on the phones that is completely distorting the quality of the makeup. And so it doesn't look nearly as good in real life as it looks on the phone. And they're just distorting it to make it look so good
0: that you'll just go in the store and buy it without asking anyone. Guess what? They have been doing that with photos since the 1950s since colorization in fact that's the whole quality when they came out with technicolor in the 1930s that the colors of the face in even film has to do with what chemical makeup that you put into the film itself Mm. so you can have a rose-colored film or you can have a dark filter that kind of stuff in fact they would use those filters back in the 50s depending upon the mood of the film so a bright film does have happy stuff with a happy love they're going to have a lot of bright scenes. If you're going to have a murder mystery, you're going to have darkness. And when you've got a, uh, a let's say, a horror movie, you're going to have a contrast. They do this on purpose. They've been doing that for many, many years, and Sandra's so just finding out about it that they now are doing it on TikTok too. <laughs> Yes, of course. I mean, why should they bother to make really, really excellent makeup and then sell that when they can sell a bunch of crap by making it look good with the photos? Certainly. <laughs> and so um, then in fact, that's something that's quite American uh, in France. They do not have near the issues about uh For instance, lipstick, that just walking down the street of an average city in France, you're more likely to see women who are not in makeup than if you walk down any town or any city in the United States, you're more likely to see women who are in makeup. Why? Because the advertising was better. (laughs) Their their photographers were better at it. That's what. That's the only thing. Uh, So. We can come back to the point then that it's not really any of that. What's really at the base of it is desire. And so people want to look good so that they can look desirable because if they are desirable, then somebody wants to love them and they want someone to love them because they don't love themselves enough. In other words, if I have enough love, Then I don't need love from anywhere else and I can really appreciate it. But if I don't have any love and love comes, my first question has been, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. right. And then love may leave because it didn't get a good reception. (laughs) You
1: know, you know, it's funny. Sandra's worn less makeup in the last three months that we've been. Uh, Together than probably any other time of her life, right, dude? Yeah, that's
0: true.
1: She said, Yeah, that's true.
0: (laughs) Not my fault. (laughs) Don't blame that on me. (laughs) Blame it on her own wisdom, in fact. That's smart. Yeah. 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 Her own wisdom. (laughs) Yeah. So getting back to the point about this Eightfold Noble Path, it's got four main elements to it that are actually part of the skill development. And when we have those skills developed, the mind becomes more organized, more unified, and more whole. And um, that can be based upon, in fact, that when the arguments that we have within our own minds based upon our rules and whether we're following the rules or not, um, when we stop all of that and start nourishing ourselves and appreciating that we're actually still alive and that we can take a deep breath and everything is okay and everything is fine right now, then the mind becomes at peace, at rest. It's unified, it's whole, and when we are in that state of mind, then we're not going to be there that way all the time. It's actually a bit of work in the sense of right effort to get our mind in that state. But when we're in that state, we don't want anything. So we're unlikely to hurt somebody to get it or to take it because we don't want anything. We're fine. That's the whole idea of getting our mind into that state of satisfaction, because satisfaction is actually satisfying and really satisfying. It's not that I'm satisfied except for, because that acceptance is the dukkha that comes in and destroys. Okay, so we go ahead and just say everything is okay. Everything is fine, no worries, no problems, nowhere to go, nothing to do. And we begin to train the mind into being satisfied. At this present moment, everything is okay. And then we can deal with things wisely. We can see how things really are happening. But, but the, the point is, is that no one is going to stay in that state. In fact, they're they're when they pass in and out of it, they're often not aware of it, but when we pass into it wisely because we're practicing on upon sati, we'll still fall out of it, because a, a thought will come that will grab the mind, and Sati is lost. That's okay. That's just what happens. We need to then, when Sati does come back, to forgive ourselves for the fact that we weren't mindful, but that we're very happy that now we are. So we congratulate her. Finally, I woke up. Now I'm awake. Now I can uh, take the dukkha out and put this satisfaction in. And so this is the way that we practice and you can sit there on the floor in a meditation pose and whatnot like that and do all kinds of things while you're sitting there. Or you can practice what we're talking about now, but it doesn't even matter where you're sitting. I mean, you can be riding on the subway. You can be on a jet plane. You could be in the sewer. It doesn't matter where you are. You can still practice taking that sewer out of your own mind. But this is okay. Everything is fine. Because if you can't change the circumstances, at least you can change your attitude about the circumstances. And here people will sit in meditation a long time, but they're not changing their mindset. They're still hoping to get something out of the meditation. Oh, well, if I can learn to sit two hours, then I can sit to three. And if I sit enough hours, then I'll be happy. All right. Why not go ahead and be happy now? Why sit so
2: long in pain?
0: So that's the change of attitude. And we have to remember to change that attitude. So how does this sound for you?
2: Sounds good. So um, what you mean is um,
3: just to make sure I understand. um, You're saying um, like as much as possible throughout the day. I remember that I uh, can create the feeling of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And, And then I take a few breaks. A few uh, sitting where I uh, intentionally try to build up the
0: the momentum. That uh Yes. Right. And that we do that bringing on satisfaction by number one, remembering that we're going to practice this. Number two, really looking at what the mind is doing now. And then number three, making the effort to change it so that we can now bring ourselves into that state of satisfaction. And we do that literally by talking ourselves into it. That one way of th- uh, talking about it is is that we have spent our whole life talking ourselves into being dissatisfied and unhappy. Now it's time to talk ourselves into being satisfied and happy. And so we use a little bit of language to gladden the mind, like, wait a minute, I don't have to do that right now. Or wait a minute, I don't have to think about her right now. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have to think about anything right now. I can just sit here and be satisfied. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. So listen to the words that we're using here. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. Everything's going to be all right. Then we can do a little James Brown meditation. Have you, Do you know James Brown? He, was, he died years ago, but he was a... Um, uh, quite a dancer and an artist. And he had a song. I feel good. Like I knew you. I would now. Okay. So we can sing those kinds of songs. I actually <laughs> do feel good. Get yourself roused up. Um, uh, uh, be of good cheer by, by cheering up and we cheer up by talking ourselves into being cheerful. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. I am fine. I feel good. Yeah,
3: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, actually, one thing I was wondering and I wanted to ask you is, um, can I use, um, like, for example, if I'm really wanting something and I I feel dissatisfied because I feel I should have uh, maybe uh, uh, something that I want, can I just imagine having it so I can have the feeling right now and not wanting it anymore?
0: Well... If that imagination is actually a good investigation. Here's an example of what I mean by that is, is that when we want it, we know that we want it and we can want it wisely and plan wisely about it. But if we want it ignorantly, then we have that feeling of I got to have it and we're trying to cling to it. And so we actually are working to go get it because we feel dissatisfied without it. And so then we get it. And now because we were dissatisfied and had to work to get it, now we have to work for it. Like one guy called it the shiny object. So now we have to keep it shined. Otherwise it's not going to be a shiny object and things don't stay shiny. They have to keep getting polished. Okay, and so we have to keep polishing and keep shining it, and keep loving it. And then we lose it. And now we really feel bad. So we felt bad before we got it. We felt bad while we were uh, keeping it and maintaining it. And now we really feel bad when we've lost it. So that's one way of thinking about it. But just imagining it. And being satisfied with all I can think about it and recognize that if I actually go after that thing, that I'm actually going to create dukkha. So now we have to do a cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth the effort? And often, yeah. it's not worth the effort. It's just not
2: worth the effort. And so, yeah, you can
0: not imagine it. But if you imagine it and still want it, then that imagination is creating desire or want. Yeah. But if you could just imagine it and play with it like, hey man, I don't really need that thing. I'm okay without it. Then that's another way to uh, to do it in the imagination. So be careful with those imaginations because they can take you into bad feelings or they can take you into good feelings. Your choice, your attitude. Okay. So that's not a cut and dry thing but you can in fact decide that I can be happy even if I don't get what I actually want i mean i really really want it but i don't get it can i go ahead and be satisfied and happy even though i don't get what i want that basically now i've changed what i wanted before i wanted that thing thinking that it that thing would make me happy now i'm recognizing that wanting that thing Is putting me already in the state of dukkha, and I would prefer to be in a state of sukha. So now I'm going to take my change of focus from I want that into I want to be fine without it. And so now we've actually been able to change the way that we feel. So now I feel satisfied even though I didn't get what I wanted before. Right now I don't want it. What's more important for me to want is to feel satisfied, and I can do that. So I got what I wanted satisfaction. <laughs> we got some
1: laughs over here.
0: Yes, I know. I could hear. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for is that laughter. So I got what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> you can see this oh, yeah. laughter over it's here.
3: It was the, micro- so the microphone op- on.
2: It was open.
0: Uh, Robert, she's so far from the mic, I didn't hear her. Can you repeat what she said? Oh, uh, she was asking if the
1: microphone was on. If you could hear all of her shenanigans going on in the background.
0: I can hear her, but I can't hear her words interpretable. But I'm, I do hear her. Really
1: she was she was wondering about um, suka and satisfaction. She's been singing the satisfaction song ever since we brought
0: this mm-hmm. up. Well, um, su- suka is exactly opposite of duka. In the Pali language, it's exactly opposite in the Thai language also. It's actually dukkha and Suka have been incorporated or borrowed and placed into the Thai language centuries ago. And all the Thai people who understand a bit about Dhamma already understand from their natural language that Suka is the opposite of dukkha. It's also in other languages like Gujarati. That Duki and Suki and Gujarati are opposites. One is unsatisfying and the other one is satisfying. So that's basically the, uh, the point. Now, many people understand Buddhism as getting supreme satisfaction, as if ordinary satisfaction is not satisfying at all. We have to recognize that, no, we don't need supreme satisfaction. Just a little dab will do you. Just enough satisfaction so that you are satisfied right now, knowing that you're not going to get everything you want. That in fact, supreme satisfaction does not get does not come by getting everything we want. Supreme satisfaction is that little tiny bit of satisfaction that keeps growing and growing and growing. And it gets more and more and more satisfying as time goes on. So now it becomes a supreme satisfaction, starting off as a seed. Like a seed, if it's planted well, nourished, watered, and giving sunshine, bite of day, it will grow into a tree. But most meditators, they have that seed, and they immediately take a knife to it, saying, where's my tree in here?
1: You know, Maybe I have
0: to collect a whole bunch of seeds, and when I have a million seeds, then I'll have a tree.
1: You know, I've got another Nietzsche quote that's very relevant to this here. Uh Admiration for a quality or an art can be so strong that it deters us from striving to possess it.
2: Ah, I'm not worthy. Yeah, but he's saying, well, you could take
1: it that point of view or you admire it so much that you're caught up in the sukkah instead of wanting to possess it.
0: Well, I would say that that, in fact, is wholesome, that you can't just appreciate something for what it is without judging it or wanting it or wanting to destroy it or wanting to change it in any way that you're just really satisfied with the way that it is. But often the other uh, occurs, and that is, is that I like it so much that it's so out there, it's so great, it's so marvelous, it's so wonderful, And here poor little puny me is such a victim that I really don't deserve it. And so I can't have it. Poor me, let me go have a pity party. Maybe I can talk to a friend who also sees it as something they can't have too, and we'll have a pity party together. Oh, poor us, we can't get what we want. And that wanting is just a mental thing anyway. That our whole quality of what is supreme is just a mental concept, like supreme nibbana or supreme enlightenment or supreme arahat or supreme this or that. Supreme is nothing but a group of singers out of Detroit back in the nineteen seventies. Those were the Supremes. Other than that, I don't know of anything that's supreme. Don't you know about the Supremes? I know a
1: Supreme underwear.
0: underwear. No, no, I'm talking about four black ladies who could sing.
1: Okay. No, I haven't. haven't Diana
0: Ross. Have you ever heard of her? Yes. Diana Ross and the Supremes. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. That's what Supreme is, is a set of singers. And they sound good, but they're not Supreme. They didn't make it into any halls of fame. I didn't see Diana Ross in front of any of the grand orchestras throughout Europe. And so she's not supreme. That's just a name. It's just a label. And we idealize that label, not recognizing that there is nothing supreme. just doesn't exist. Like the Trinity, there's many, many different concepts that have no value in reality. And so supreme and perfection, those are uh, ideals that don't exist. Another ideal is purity. Like pure water, there's no such thing as pure water. Rainwater is dirty. Even distilled water, by the time it gets into the pot, it's been contaminated by what was ever was in the pot that it fell into. And so there's no such thing as absolute pure water. We, we do measure things in parts per million. How many million parts of water with one part of imperfection? And then it's not pure anymore. So these ideals, we can we can let go of. There is no such thing.
1: Uh, there is a great quote. It goes, um, a, a, per, a, uh, a clean pond has no koi. You know, a clean pond has no fish.
0: Right, right, exactly. But in fact, uh, uh, there are no clean ponds. There's no such thing as a clean pond. Not if it's that clean, because a clean pond has no fish. But it's also got no dirt in the bottom of it. It's got no dust falling on the top of it. Otherwise, that pond is going to be dirty, and then the fish are going to be there. Anyway, you, and, can't, stop a, you can't stop the fish because you can't make the pond clean. It's not possible to make the pond clean. Not that kind of clean.
1: Well, and the fish are the best part of the pond. You know, if
0: yeah.
1: in a pond, you, you spend most of your time looking at the fish, not the pond.
0: Well, it depends upon what pond you're in. Yeah. <laughs> but most of the time, yeah, we're more interested in the fish than we are in the purity of the pond. But when the fish start floating on top of the pond, then we know that it's not clean enough. Right. And right. so this is a whole quality that we can begin to look at is enough. Here's an example of that. I just heard this on the uh, uh, the news lately when one of the news broadcasters was making the statement that you can think yourself tall, that doesn't make you tall. <laughs> and my immediate thought was, if I think that I'm tall enough, then I will be tall enough. Okay, tall enough is, not the, is, is now enough. We don't have to measure it. Is it good, better, and best? Which is taller or tallest is no longer a use. Tall enough is all we need. So this is where we begin with our practice is satisfaction enough, just enough satisfaction. Or another way of looking at it is, is that a lot of students have a lot of questions and a lot of doubts, and they've got a lot of different meditation books that they've read and various practices. And so they have a lot of confusion. And many of us become scholars trying to clear up our confusion because we're trying to get everything together so that we'll know how to practice. But we won't practice until we know how, right? The answer to that is, no, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know enough. Just a little dab will do you. All you need to know is that I can change my mind from unsatisfying thoughts into satisfying thoughts. That's all I need to know. Yeah, on the subject
1: of a little dab, you know, it's funny. There is a student at Don Morato's who only ever did one call with him and then started doing all the time stamps and joined uh, a group and is now very active, only having done one call. It's quite funny. Ian Pitchford. Is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why he's only done one call, but I guess that, that was all he needed.
0: Ah, that's because he listened instead of asking questions. <laughs> Which I have to uh, um, congratulate Lauren for is because you're just sitting and listening and and absorbing. And I, I really appreciate that. I can tell. Thank you. I'm sure I'll come up with some questions next time. <laughs> Ah, but just remember that any questions and any confusions you have in the mind are keeping you right then and there from being satisfied and content. Maybe I won't know. That's all we need to know about all those questions is, is that they're not satisfied if we don't have answers immediately. But if we have questions like, well, what am I doing right now? The answer is obvious right here in front of us. All we have to do is look and then we can see what's happening right here, right now. I I would (laughs) go ahead. I know you got one coming back. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Another one. (laughs) I I would say, though, you know, questions are also (laughs) a part of friendship. You know, it's a it's a common part of interaction and just, you know, enjoying talking with someone is asking questions just for the sake of it.
0: Yes. If that is, in fact, part of the social uh, ritual parameters. Just just like greetings, that every greeting on Skype or any greeting that you've ever had, whenever you meet somebody, you go to work, the people that you're at work with, we always go through a little ritual. Hi, how are you doing? Are you okay? We we, we ask each other to go into a state of selfishness. That's the first thing that happens. That's part of the opening ritual. And everybody does it. We feel incomplete. And in fact, if the videotape get, or the video recording or the internet closes or whatever like that, and we don't have a chance to say goodbye to each other, if that video call is cut, we feel incomplete. Even though the student, for instance, may get enormous value out of what we've already talked about, but because the, the, uh, the ending didn't end well, and we didn't do that closing ritual, that means that it wasn't completed. That we need the the opening ritual to start and we need the closing ritual to finish. And during that time when we're together, it also has ritual built into it of expectations. Like one of the ritual expectations is is people are not supposed to be talking at each other and not listening to each other. And that happens a lot. But that's breaking of the social ritual, that when one per the ritual is, is that when one person is talking, the other one is supposed to listen. But we don't do that. So we don't fulfill our expectations. In fact, what's really going on often in a conversation is one person is merely silent, waiting for the other person to shut up long enough for him to get his own words in edgewise. And both of them are trying to shove their conversation in edgewise because of uh, not giving each other the opportunity. And another one is is to share misery. You know why people share misery with each other? Because that's what they've got on their mind. That's what they've got on their plate. And I'm going to share with you whatever I've got. And if I've got a problem, that's what? I'm going to give you my problem. And if you've got a problem on your plate and that's all you've got, guess what? When you call me, you're going to call and talk about your problem. That's what we do, and we do it in a ritualized way, sometimes breaking the the social conventions and whatnot like that. So that's an important way of of understanding is that there is um, kind of built into our, even the way that we communicate with each other, our social conventions and rules. Our mind is absolutely clouded and cluttered with all of these rules. And that's part of the reason why we feel so much trouble is because we've got to do it right. We've got to follow all of the rules and we've got way too many rules. And many of the rules are actually contradictory with each other. Like, like uh, cliches are contradictory with each other. Like look before you leap and he who hesitates is lost. I mean, those two things absolutely are in contradictory with each other. And yet both of them are true.
1: <laughs> yeah, another funny one is, um, too many cooks in the kitchen spoils the stew versus uh, two heads are better than one.
0: Right, exactly. That's another one that's that's completely contradictory. And yet both of them have some wisdom to it. So there's that wisdom is the basis. But we wind up just making it a set of rules instead of actually investigating, is that rule worth having or not? And so part of our um, uh, process of insight is, is to wake up to that this rule that I've been keeping all this time is just merely a rule that I've been carrying around all this time. And now I can play with it. I don't have to just follow it because it's a rule or break it in anger because it's a rule. Then instead, I could just see it as a toy and play with it as I like. Like opening rituals. I generally have fun with my students with these (laughs) opening
2: rituals.
0: (laughs) So one of them that I use a lot is, um, how's it going? Or what's happening? That's another one. What's happening? Because that's an actual real question. what's happening, because that's an answer. I mean, this is what's happening. Here we are, and we can talk about that. (laughs) And so that's a better uh, than uh, hi. How are you or all of that kind of stuff? Because uh, when you have too much of a cliche in um, uh, going on in the ritual, then that means that there are certain answers. In other words, if you ask somebody how they are doing, you do not expect them to tell you how they are doing. If They will say, fine, let's finish this ritual. I don't want to go deep into the ritual and tell you all of this, that, and the other thing. Let's just say, fine, and then we can finish the opening ritual and get down to the conversation. You can hear that almost in, the, in their voice. How, how are you doing? Fine. Now we can get into it. Ah, you know. <laughs> so you had a question, Robert. Um, yeah. no. okay.
1: I, I guess I, I'm not a good Buddhist if I have a question, so. I...
0: <laughs> ah, now you're beginning to wake up. Good. That's the Buddhist waking <laughs> up. <laughs> Waking up to all of our questions and all of our questions and recognizing, hey, we can just be satisfied. Just be satisfied. We don't have to have all our questions answered before we're satisfied. We can just be satisfied. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. So, Lauren, do you have any questions about what we've been talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> um...
3: Actually, no, I'm good. I think I'm going to start practicing and see how it goes.
0: Okay, yes. Change this with, um, if you've been practicing something with sitting a long period of time, that normally comes with either the Goenka method or the Mahasi method. And the answer to that with the Mahasi is, is that now we know that we're going to be noting. We're going to be noting it in the sense that we've got an option now to change it or not. The Mahasi method generally says, just note, just note, just note, without recognizing that we've got a choice, that we do not have to just keep looking at dukkha and dukkha and more dukkha and see this dukkha is is connected to that dukkha. So now we'll look at that dukkha too and just chase dukkha all over the place. It's the way that they do it in the Mahasi method. And that leads to misery, disgust, to dark nights of the soul, and all kinds of things. So the real point is not just to do the noting when you're sitting, but that you're doing it with the attitude of hey we can fix this we can come yeah, out of this we can come back to a state of satisfaction so
3: i've been doing only um you know focusing on the breath
0: um
3: actually i have a question <laughs> I've, okay. um, I was a, I've um i've um enrolled for a retreat a 10 day retreat um In a few months, so I was preparing and trying to sit for a long period of time. uh, Just to get ready for the retreat.
0: It's okay; uh, You do not have to train for the retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Then, in fact, the right way to train is to be right now in that retreat, be in the retreat. What is is the retreat? Well, the retreat is just sitting, no place to go, nothing to do, nothing to say, and that you could do that. And it doesn't matter what posture you're in, that Westerners have way too much emphasis upon posture, thinking that the body has to be trained like it was if it were in a weightlifting gym. And you've got to build leg muscles or something like that in order to sit but the real practice that the buddha teaches is not about sitting all the time in fact i don't know of anyone that's ever called me when i asked them the question is oh that that means that when you really get good at your practice that you're going to be sitting on the floor in some temple 14 to 16 hours a day until you really get good. And then you're going to sit there 24 hours a day, except for meals and um, um, going to the toilet. And everybody says, no, that's not what i want to do. I want to have a life. And the answer to that is, okay, well, let's make your life in the meditation, not someplace spotting on the floor in a meditation hall. So when you go to the meditation, make that your life in the sense of here we are with nothing, nothing to do and no place to go. And we can just sit here and feel satisfied. And you can do that, practicing that for 10 days. And you'd be surprised at how satisfied you can come out of that retreat. But if you go into the retreat wanting something. You might come out of that retreat miserable, still wanting something.
2: So I I should
3: um, apply Ah. the, the method. Um, starting from a place of already being satisfied and doing it just to play with it, right?
0: Yes, right. So that's the question. Can you get yourself into a state of satisfaction, never mind what posture you're in? But going away from others, sitting in seclusion is a very good practice to do, to get away from the world that's making us so dissatisfied because we see this, that, and the other thing that we like and want. And so we get into silence, we get away from everything. And when we're away from all of that, when we're away from the world, guess what? At that point in time, our sila is perfect. So now that our sila is perfect and we're not robbing anybody, we're not molesting anybody, that we're just sitting there with our hands in our lap, not on somebody's knee, you know, that kind of thing, that we're okay right here, right now, then why should I sit here wanting something like enlightenment? Or why should I want to sit here for a long time to prove to someone that I can sit for a long time?
2: Yeah.
0: Why can't I just sit here and be satisfied? That's the way of looking at it. It's just sitting and being satisfied rather than trying to get something that you don't have. Be satisfied. with Here you are. Got everything we need. Our Sita is perfect. Right now, everything is fine. Everything is okay. And so that's the mental state that we want to practice for. Whether we're sitting on the floor in a meditation retreat, or sitting on the floor for two hours a day training for a retreat, or whether we're not trying to train for a retreat at all, we're trying to train for getting the mind satisfied. Hmm. Okay, so that
3: so that would be a good idea for my uh, objective of meditation uh, at the moment to be only trying to. Generate uh, to uh, create that uh, satisfaction
2: um, mm-hmm.
3: while sitting and having desires coming up, and
0: and when desires and thoughts come up, say, never mind. I'm going to be satisfied here instead. I'm not going to think about her or it or whatever it was that came up to mind because it's not right here right now. I'm just going to think about what is here right now: this body and its good feelings. And this good air that we're breathing, and this is all that's happening right now. So let's pay attention to what is and enjoy the heck out of it. What a show. I mean, you'd be surprised at what a show it is just to sit there and just experience what's happening with the body as it breathes. It's quite a show if we pay attention and look. But normally we're not looking at what's going on as we're sitting and breathing. We're thinking about, something else. It's like we're in a movie theater thinking about a movie that we saw in that theater that's not in that theater right now. We're watching an old movie in the mind when in fact we're in a new theater with a new movie. So let's watch the movie that we're in right now. We're in this theater of the body. Let's watch its movie that's happening right now rather than remembering some old movie and be satisfied with the movie that's playing right here right now. Even with the eyes closed, we could still watch the movie. Watch the breathing in and out, listening to everything that's going on within the body. Paying attention to the thoughts. Making the thoughts, in fact, music and let the body do a dance. Dancing to your own tune, just sitting there. With nowhere to go and nothing to do, and just enjoying the heck out of the moment.
3: But when I um, when I focus on looking at the sensation and uh, and I try to to see them, um, then I I have a hard time um, staying with the satisfaction.
0: Ah, but don't be hard on yourself because you don't stay with it. Recognize that you do have a monkey mind, just like all the other humans. <laughs> and in fact, I know exactly where we got our monkey mind. We got it from the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> and we still have a monkey mind. Forgive yourself for the fact that you can't stay on something. And then remember that instead of fussing at myself for not staying on it, that instead the right thing to do is to come back and start again. That don't dwell on our failures, dwell on our success. I can do this. Never mind that I had forgotten. Now I remember. Let's do it now. That way we don't think of it as hard because it wasn't hard. Hard is just a mental concept just based upon the fact that you didn't like it. Why did you say that you didn't like it? It's because you had invented a rule. And that rule is you're supposed to watch your object, right? But I'm giving you a new rule in a way, and that is is that you don't have to watch the object all the time. Think of it as a toy to play with. And you play with that toy every time you remember to play with the toy. But it's okay when you're not playing with the toy. Let the mind go. But if it goes into Tuca, wake up. Now's the time to play with the toy. Okay, yeah.
3: Makes sense.
0: So don't make don't make it hard. Make it easy. It's not hard. It really is easy. It's only hard when we want something that we don't get. No. And so recognizing that, hey, I wanted the mind to stay on the object and it didn't stay on the objects. And so now I'm pushing at myself and I'm being in a state of dissatisfaction. But I can think about, wait a minute. All I have to do is go back to the object, and now I'm on the object, just like I was following. So while I am angry at myself for not following the object, I'm not following the object. If I put that down and follow the object, now I'm following the object again. It's it's just that simple.
2: (laughs) It's just that simple.
0: You don't have to be angry at yourself for not following the object, because while you're angry at yourself, you're not following the object. Just drop that. Say, okay, never mind, start again. That's that's one of the most famous things that has come out of Cuenca. He kept saying that over and over again when the mind wanders away from the breath. Never mind, start again. Just keep coming back. But I'm adding a little bit more to that. Not, never mind, start again. But, never mind, let's go do it. Let's jump up. I mean, we can do this. We don't have to do it with, oh, poor me. i got to start again. But with a hot dog, I can do this. (laughs) So we begin to change our attitude. The attitude is the attitude of, yeah, we've got this. Yeah, I could do this. Yeah, I've got some
2: satisfaction. Who can ask for anything more?
0: So don't be hard on yourself. Be easy. It's not a hard practice. It's only a hard practice because you want something that you don't get. So check that out. Always keep checking that out because you do get what you really want when you want the right thing. What do you want the right thing? to want is to be satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can just be satisfied. So we talk to ourselves. That, yeah, this is okay. This is fine. I'm satisfied with this. This is all right. When you catch the mind wandering away, it says, Yeah, I'm glad I caught you. Yeah, that's satisfying. I caught you that time. Never mind. Start again.
2: It's not hard. Wanting something you don't get, that's hard.
0: But meditation, the way that we're practicing here with Anapanasati, it's not hard. It's easy. And the more skill you develop, the easier it gets.
2: Yeah. Very interesting how everything
3: we want is just uh, satisfaction.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: And we think it's a different thing we want. And it's all, well, all one.
0: A lot of us have fear. And so we want things to make us feel safe. like. A million dollars, I don't feel safe. I need 10. But when I get 10, I say, I still don't feel safe. I need a million, a hundred million dollars. And if I get a hundred million, I still feel unsafe. So then I think, oh, I need a billion dollars. And all of these billionaires are really unhappy people. Because they thought that they would be happy by getting the money. They got the the money and they're still not happy. So we're learning to do it without the money. Let's just be happy. Let's just be satisfied. We don't need the money because money doesn't make anybody happy. It makes us greedy. The more we want or the more we get, the more we want. Yes, Robert, before we go, what?
1: What? Oh, there was a funny just to add to that, there's a funny little story I heard in a podcast. This guy was in a private club in New York and he heard two billionaires talking they were, they were complaining about how Sergey Brin and Larry Page were so much richer than them. And they each had, you know, over a billion dollars. They're like, oh, we can't believe it. These Google guys, you know, they just made a search engine and they have so much more money than we do. Oh, my God. You know, it was just kind of ridiculous. huh.
0: Exactly. Why can't they be satisfied with what they've got? Why do we have to keep doing good, better and best? Why do we keep looking for the supreme? Let's look for enough. A billion, yeah, that's enough. Six hundred thousand, that's enough. A hundred thousand, that's enough. Depends upon your attitude. For my daughter, nine years old, a hundred bahts enough. She's overjoyed with a hundred baht, about three dollars. <laughs> 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 that's sure enough. So that's the quality we're looking for: is to get that feeling we've got enough. This is good enough. This is satisfying. I've had all I want. And we need to cultivate that feeling, cultivate that attitude. This is enough. Because look how many people are wanting a billion dollars. And even if they get it, they're still unhappy. They're still not satisfied. No. And so let's practice something that we can have and then be satisfied with. rather than wanting things that we can't have. Well that's the, the, great I'm, Go ahead Rob
1: Oh there was a funny exchange on Twitter Where a famous rapper Tweeted the first million is always The hardest and a billionaire Responded to him and said The first billion is a heck of a lot harder
0: <laughs> 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 Well guess what Not having that game is easy, <laughs> yeah. Not having that game of who's the best. Who, you know, they they say one of the versions of the game is he who dies with the most toys wins. Right. Well, what kind of game is that? Because <laughs> all the billionaires die. Doesn't matter how many billions they have, they still all die. And the worst part of it is, is that while they are billionaires, they're still not happy. They got to keep that billion. They got to make it too. Not happy with what we've got. So the whole idea is to change our attitude to where what we do have is the not. We need to practice that because we're in a state of wanting so much all the time. It's a bad habit of being dissatisfied. Our culture teaches us to be dissatisfied. And so we have to get away from the culture to practice being satisfied. And when we get that satisfaction, now we can walk back into culture and spread our satisfaction to those who don't have that. It's even more uh, efficient Mm mm-hmm one at a time just one smile at a time (laughs) one by one as they occur so practice it like that at this moment is good enough this moment is worth a smile
2: and a nice thing
1: too laurel is the more you smile the more others around you will smile then that will give you more smiles back from them
0: It's contagious It is. <laughs> well, I'm really glad to meet you. I hope to see you it's again. nice
3: to meet you. Uh,
0: yeah. Hope when should I call is- you? Oh, well, I would recommend either once or twice a week is good. Okay. Once okay. or twice a week would be just fine. Up to you. All right. I still have room for friends. <laughs>
3: okay. Well, thank you very much.
0: And nice okay. to meet you, uh, Damarato and Robert. <laughs> Great to meet you, Laurent. Hi. Okay, well, uh, Robert, let's let's finish now, and we'll talk later.
1: All right. Okay. I'll probably in South America.
0: Right. <laughs> Are you going that quick? Yeah, we're going on Monday. Monday? I don't know what a Monday, what is today. Today is a Saturday, right? No, for you, it's Friday. Okay, so. Yeah, okay. so very soon. Yeah, it's a whole. So three days. Yeah, if you'd have said three days, I'd have understood. But when you said Monday, I said, what's a Monday?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a thing. All right, we'll see y'all. <laughs> okay. See you both.
2: This is have a good great. day. Cheers. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.